This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 43, The First Computer Virus. Well, hello again, everyone. It's time for another Incredible Stories podcast. I'm Josh Virla, your pestilential host, and thanks for being here. Just a reminder to share the show if you like it. Even if you don't like it, share it. Maybe someone else will like it. So what's on the docket today, Josh? Oh, you know, just talking about viruses. If you're listening to this episode, I'm fairly certain you're hearing it via the internet or some sort of platform that is connected to the internet. And the internet is a lovely thing, isn't it? We use it for everything from entertainment, shopping, to banking, even dating. All hail the internet! But the internet also has its dark sides, and few things are as dark as getting a computer virus. Those nasty little bits of code that infect your computer can really F up your world. But do you know the story of the first computer virus? You probably think the first one was made by some Soviet mastermind, but it was actually a 15-year-old boy. Crazy, I know, right? So let's explore the early age of digital infections. Here's what I know. So a computer virus is a pretty broad term that includes many types of malicious programs that can infect your computer. Generally, they all fall under the term of malware, and there are many different types of those. You got viruses, trojans, ransomware, spyware, and worms, etc. Generally, these are used to gain access to a person's sensitive data, like banking info, photos, email lists, top-secret government files disclosing the existence of aliens? Well, forget all that stuff, because the first computer virus in the wild was just a prank. And to note, when I say wild, it refers to the general public's computers and not an in-lab or closed network. So, this wild virus belonged to 15-year-old Rich Skrenta, an ordinary Pennsylvania high school student in 1982. Well, ordinary except for the fact that he was very savvy in the realm of programming computers. But let's back up a bit to 1980, and a 13-year-old Rich gets a Christmas gift of the Apple II computer. Ah... Well, this aspiring tech geek was hooked on this modern piece of sci-fi awesomeness. Of course, he used it to play games and such, but his curiosity implored him to dig deeper. He ended up writing his own text-based game for the computer, and his game put the player in the point of view of an aircraft crash survivor. And now, this was an important step for Rich because by him making his own game, he basically taught himself how to do basic programming, which allowed him to learn assembly language, which is fancy talk for low-level computer programming. Now, back to 1982. Okay, so what did computer nerds do in the 80s? Why, they joined their local computer clubs, where they ran illicit dens of pirated software, trading games, and the digital black market. Hey, psst, over here's. What you looking for, kid? 
I got your Apple Panic, Castle Wolfenstein, some Aztec. Um, do you got any, uh, Lunar Leapers? Lunar Leapers? Nah, you don't want that. What you want is some of this. Wow, what's that? Bolo, my friend. Bolo. It features tanks, and you gotta destroy six enemy bases. You see this pixel here? Yeah. That's you. And you see this pixel here? Those are you in a map. Okay, okay, how much is it? First play is free. So, these kids are sharing games and cool things with each other in their computer lab via floppy disks, and for you youngsters, floppy disks were used like thumb drives, except they held way less content. But that's okay, because back in the 80s, you didn't need a lot of storage for games. So all this swapping and trading got Rich's brain juices flowing. Can I play some tricks on my friends with these floppy disks, he thought. And he answered his question quickly by modifying the discs so that they would display some messages on the screen when they were playing games. But this wasn't a virus, this was just going in and writing some code for software. But then Rich thought, hmm, could I somehow change the content of the discs without myself having to touch it? So he did some coding in his lab and in about two weeks he had created a virus a boot sector type of virus. How did it work, you ask? Glad you asked. So the premise was this. Rich took his initial infected floppy disk, shared it with a friend. Once that disk was inserted into a computer, his virus would go from the disk to the computer and just run in the background until a new floppy disk was inserted into that machine. In which case the virus would then replicate itself jump onto the new disk where it would then infect the next computer and repeat the cycle of hopping. Disks and machines began to get infected, but what did the virus actually do? Well, not too much. Rich wasn't malicious and computers infected with his virus just displayed a poem that Rich wrote on every 50th boot of the computer. The poem was as follows. Clona, the program with personality. It will get on all your disks. It will infiltrate your chips. Yes, it's Cloner. It will stick to you like glue. It will modify RAM too. Send in the Cloner. A regular Shakespeare there. Oh yeah, the name of his virus was Elk Cloner. Not sure why he named it that. If I had invented a virus at 15, I think I would have named it something like Turd Burger or Smashy McSmash Smash. But anyways, Elk Cloner quickly spread because everyone was sharing discs via their computer clubs. And eventually, some of Rich's cousins in Baltimore were infected. And come to find out years later, a friend of his in the Navy also had gotten the Elk Cloner virus. But no worries. Rich created a cloner cleaner that would remove his pranky program from infected computers. There were also ways to trick infected disks into thinking they already infected your computer by more or less copying the signature of the virus, but that was more or less it. A pretty harmless little joke that was easily removed. So did Rich get in trouble? No. 
This was 1982, and computers and hacking laws were not what they are today. And plus, he was just a high school student, and this story didn't receive any media coverage, and no one really knew about it until Rich wrote a letter to Scientific American around 1985 about malware threats to computers. And again, because computers weren't a part of everyday life like today, this flew way under everyone's radar. Also note the term a virus for computers wasn't coined until 1985 by a fellow named Fred Cohen who was a trailblazing computer scientist and himself unleashed an experimental virus in 1983 for a class, but he didn't beat Rich. So what happened to Rich? Did he peak too soon in inventing the world's first virus? This guy was a player in Silicon Valley, having worked for Unix System Labs and Sun Microsystems, as well as many other equally internet nerdy type things. Oh, he also was co-founder of Bleco in 2010. What is Bleco? It's a search engine like Google, and his goal was to provide better search results than Google. It used innovative slash tags for result queries. Josh, so what? There are tons of other search engines that come nowhere close to Google. Now I hear you. There is a virtual trash heap of vanquished foes in the search engine wars, from Alta Vista to Ask Jeeves. But Bleco was actually better than Google, at least at some things, like queries that are highly monetizable. You see, Google's results generated more spam results in things like how to clean gutters, according to Adriana Gold, who worked at Bleco. Well, if Bleco was so great, Josh, why don't I use it today? Well, maybe because it got bought out by IBM in 2015 and absorbed to be the search engine for Watson, aka the supercomputer that won Jeopardy, aka our future AI overlord. All hail Watson. So, lesson here kids, make a virus become a big tech giant. Okay, but now let's talk about technicality. While true, Rich's elk cloner virus was the first wild virus, the actual first virus was a program called Creeper, which by the name of it sounds way more menacing than elk cloner and perhaps gives you images of questionably pervy co-workers. But let's back up a smidge here. In 1969, the Advanced Research Projects Agency, or ARPA, now known as DARPA, created ARPANET. What is ARPANET? Basically the precursor to the internet as we know it today. It was a network of computers that used packet switching as the basis for data communications. But in 1971, an experimental computer program was developed by Bob Thomas that was intended to infect ARPANET. The program was a self-duplicating program not meant to do any harm. So what did it do? Well, it would ID a computer on the ARPANET system, transfer to that computer, and begin to print. While the printer was in the middle of printing, the file would stop, and the following message would display on the computer screen. I am the creeper. Catch me if you can. The creeper virus would then ID a new computer and hop over there while deleting itself from the previous computer. This is what would have been considered a worm type of virus. 
This virus was then expanded upon by Ray Tomlinson, and eventually it was starting to get pretty annoying within ARPANET. In fact, a cleanup program called The Reaper was created to bounce through the net to find and remove the Creeper virus. And this was significant because The Reaper was now the first antivirus software. So what was the point of this experiment? Well, the point of it was to not really infect computers, but to show mobile applications. So for example, identifying something like, hey, this machine has data on it. Is it more efficient to send the application to the computer with the data or bring the data to the computer with the application? Stuff like that. It was looking for efficiency. But that's the story of the first computer virus. And now you know what I know. Of course, the internet is pretty much the center of modern society, connecting people to people without them having to actually connect with each other. And it's interesting to know that pretty much from the start, the primitive computers were under attack from viruses. Although not as malicious in intent as those today, they still took a lot of intelligence and really I think it's a human function to explore and exploit the weakness of really all things from enemies to one's own self. I'm just happy that computers don't currently have the curiosity to probe human vulnerabilities, but just in case an advanced AI starts infecting home computers through the internet, make sure you power down when not in use. But now for something you can definitely power up, the haiku! The worst comp virus I got from Oregon Trail. Dysentery death. Bonus haiku. Whoa, that sound means we have a listener submission. And this week we have a haiku from Pat. I won't read the full name, but Pat, you know who you are. And this is a haiku from our Golden Spruce episode. And it reads as follows. Sacred Haida Tree. The gold in its mystery lives another day. Alright, very good, Pat. I like that haiku. It is very on point to the episode. And to the others who are interested in sending in haikus, go ahead and do so. I'm happy to read them on air. Or, you know, recorded on air. Whatever. We're not live here. Okay, but that's all the time I have this week, guys. Check out our main site for other stories on IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Send me an email or haiku, of course, at contact at IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod. And rate us on iTunes and peep us out on YouTube and Stitcher. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh. And remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. (laughs) 